Hi, I'm Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, December 2nd, 2022. We are approaching two weeks since five people were killed and 19 others were injured by gunfire inside the Club Q nightclub in Colorado Springs. The showing of support and empathy for those affected continues to shine brightly, and I mean brightly, from the colors of the rainbow and lights outside of our sporting venues in Denver to the pride flag hanging outside of City Hall in Colorado Springs. When honoring the victims and survivors, Senator Michael Bennett said Tuesday, Colorado is hurting. We are tired of this. That was when the Senate approved legislation to protect same-sex marriage. We are all wanting an end to hate and violence in our communities. And here at Colorado Inside Out, we recognize the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which is the right of the people to keep and bear arms. This show is going to address how we can work together in Colorado to keep all of us safe and well and prevent further gun violence. For this week's panel, we have Patty Calhoun, the founder and editor of Westward, George Brockler, former district attorney for the 18th Judicial District in Colorado, also Colorado State Senator Rhonda Fields, and also Caleb David, a Colorado Springs business owner who is part of the LGBTQ community and was one of the 2022 Colorado Governor's Fellows, a program that we featured just last week here on the show. So, Patty. Please start us off today. Well, you can't hear this anything as horrible as we heard Saturday night, early Sunday morning on the 20th, without thinking how many times we have heard it in Colorado, so, and how it's changed covering these events. Back in 1999, when Columbine first happened, people barely were using the internet. They certainly weren't tweeting, they weren't Facebooking, so we heard about that on the radio. And we couldn't really do much about it because we were going to press that night. You couldn't immediately publish. Then you think you hear this again and you couldn't believe it after the Aurora Theater shootings, after the King's sh Super shootings in Boulder, and now the horrific events in Colorado Springs. And in between, other incidents that didn't get as much attention or weren't as drastic as this. And you see how the internet has changed things, how you find out information so quickly, how you hear rumors so quickly. Uh, what was great is that the victims here, their names didn't come out right away because Colorado Springs wanted to be sure they referred to the victims appropriately. But you began to see very quickly on Facebook and in other places real celebrations of the victims. So we know a lot about them, and that is good. And we've seen the community pull together. What we really don't know is what happened with this shooter and were there incidents in Colorado Springs that we should know more about. Mm -hmm. George, you prosecuted the Aurora Theater case, the STEM School Highlands Ranch case, and even prosecuted two men who provided the weapons to the Columbine shooters. When you look at this community that's now hurting, what goes through your mind? Well, a couple things. I mean, listen, this is my home. It's been my home as long as I can remember. And if you had told me 25 years ago that this particular area in the great state of Colorado would suffer some of the biggest, most notorious mass murders in, in the country, I'd have said you were crack smoke crazy, that that's just not who we are as a people. And I still believe that part of it. But you know, when you have these anomalies after anomalies after anomalies, they feel less anomalistic. The other thing is, is a, a sense of almost resignation and depression. You hear it, you have that instant gasp of horror, and then you think, <laughs> You know, are we ever going to turn the page from this? Are we ever going to be the place that reads about someone else and never have to hear about it for, for our own selves? 
Um, the things that I'm heartened by, and I know we'll talk about more about this, is not just the response of the community, and it's been pretty universal. That's really awesome. But what, what I think is symbolized by the fact that Colorado Springs has a Club Q who was in attendance that night when this horror happened and their internal response to it, those are all the things I think that really let us know that at a time when then there is a demonstration of real evil, there's also real good out there. And what I'm really interested in hearing though from someone who's been at the receiving end of this and, and all the wrong ways is someone who I just happen to think of in heroic terms and that is Senator Fields. Um, having to be the DA who has talked to victims in this situation. I know we're on the same planet, I know we're breathing the same air, but we are a universe apart, and there's just some gap between us that we can't get to. Mm -hmm. On June 20th, 2005, a young man named Javad Marshall Fields and his fiancee Vivian Wolf were gunned down in their car in Aurora. Javad is the son of State Senator Rhonda Fields. Senator Fields, your purpose in life shifted following that, and now you are a leading voice in our state. Um, when you hear of another big act of violence, how do, you, how do you feel? You know, every time there's a shooting, it doesn't matter if it's a mass shooting or just a shooting in the neighborhood, it um, causes me to revisit my own personal trauma and my own personal scars because it's something that you really never get over. You just kind of live through it. But what I'd like to do is to kind of focus on how we can heal from some of the trauma that we've all been experiencing as it relates to Columbine, the Aurora Theater shooting, and now we have Club Q. We've also had Boulder. It's unsettling that we seem to have somewhat of a trend of shootings where people are using um, these guns, these rifles, in inappropriate manners to kill as many people as they can in places that should be safe and they're public places where people are going to grocery stores or having a good time or going to the theater um, or the mall. There just doesn't seem to be any safe places. And so as a lawmaker, I'd like for us to start looking beyond the bullet and looking at how we can heal the trauma after the, the TV cameras have left. And we see the devastation that happens with not having the resources or the counseling that's needed to, to move beyond. Caleb, we thank you for driving up from Colorado Springs for the show. With each day that passes in Colorado Springs, past the tragedy, how are people doing down there? You know, it's a, it's a mix. I mean, there's been so much support, which has been very rare for our community within the Colorado Springs area. And so seeing the amount that people are still talking about it, that they're still ongoing, but there's so much unknown as well. And so all of us are feeling re-traumatized. Many of us grew up in faith communities that told us that we were not good. And so when we find safe places that we can go and gather, when that gets violated, it's a re-traumatization. And I think you're exactly right, Senator, is that we have to talk about the healing and, and, and how the rhetoric. There is a way for us to talk about this where we can prevent gun violence, but also, you know, support our communities. Let's talk about the red flag law in Colorado, because that's a tough angle of the story to think about. It passed in 2019, when in effect in January 2020, it allows family members or law enforcement to request the temporary confiscation of firearms from people who pose a threat to themselves or others. George, 19 states plus D.C. have these laws. And what you read is that it's not enforced everywhere in Colorado. Why is that? 
What are you hearing? I think there's a couple things that's going on here. One, if you'll remember, there was a 2018 version of this law, which was far more conservative, and in my opinion, and what got my support, was that it was far more due process protecting. You remember there was an election that took place. It was kind of another blue wave of sorts. Democrats swept in, changed that red flag law to make it, in my opinion, one of the least protective of due process in the country. And I think there are a lot of sheriffs out there who object to it. However, you swear to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States, the Constitution of Colorado, and all of its organic laws. That is not a fingers-crossed moment where you get to pick and choose which laws to enforce and when. And while there's discretion built into how red flag will be used, I do struggle with even friends of mine who are sheriffs who say, I will not ever use this tool in my toolbox under any circumstances. And I think what we've seen is, from even those who initially objected to it, it can play an important role. And where the red flag law suffers in terms of metrics is we don't get to know how many success stories grew out of it. Right now we're trying to figure out where it was not used and what could have happened. What we can't know is what did it prevent? What suicide, what shooting, what other, we don't get to know that because we can't really know. Um, but I think that in part what we're seeing is the state struggle with how do we make this tool work without violating the Constitution. State Senator, how does that feel when you pass a law and, and it's not being followed? It's frustrating because I'm going into my 13th year and when you pass laws, you expect for it to be followed and that there should be compliance. But ever since the passing of the, the red flag law, we've seen some sheriffs voice their opinion and really being blatant about, you know, I'm not going to do it. And um, they're not elected to to discount laws. So if there's a loophole, it needs to be closed. I don't know all the, the scenarios behind this, but um, we need to dig deep because we know that there's a formula. If there's a gun in the house and there's issues with domestic violence or some, those kinds of things, we know that the likelihood of someone uh, getting hurt is pretty high. So there's enough data to say is, that says that we need to take the gun out of the home to protect everyone in that home, even if there's a potential suicide or homicide. You mentioned suicide. Um, Caleb, when it comes to gun violence, more than half of deaths are suicide. This law is also meant to protect yes. people who could harm themselves. Yeah. And there are many cases, high number of cases, of people in the LGBTQ plus community yeah. who do go the, the route of death by suicide. They do, and it's and it's such a shame because the, the constructs that are around us keep telling us the same thing over and over again, that we are less than human and that we don't deserve places to belong. And I didn't come out until I was 40 years old. It took me that long to, to do that work, and I lost everything. I lost 85% of my business. I lost friends. I lost community. And order to show my children that you need to live your best authentic life. And I got to the point where I was drinking so much that I was subconsciously killing myself. And I knew I had to do something. And thankfully, I had a therapist that would listen and hear. But you know, in the state of Colorado, the number is actually higher for suicides. It's closer to 75% of the gun deaths in Colorado, where mm -hmm. the, in, the, in the country, countrywide, it's about 58%. But in our state, we're at 75%. That is two thirds, no, three quarters of the deaths by gun. I hope what has happened kind of enlightens everybody in our state and everywhere to what this community is facing and yeah. how we can protect Absolutely. everybody in and Colorado. This is a mental health, it's a mental health problem. You know, I, I needed help. 
you know, and our community needs help. And I'm, I'm proud of how they've pulled together. And I'm proud of some of the local synagogues and churches that held vigils for our community. And now that we're having leadership that is really pushing towards more unifying our city, I think that's really gonna help. You know, it's interesting talking about Colorado Springs because 30 years ago, Colorado Springs was the focus of Amendment 2. They were the, it was the reason we became the hate state when Amendment 2 was pushed, and there was not supposed to be special protection, which some read to any protection for gays, lesbians, and everyone else in that community. And you see how Colorado Springs kind of created its own problem when they attracted a lot of the fundamental churches, but how far it's come, and you see that with the, with the support that the Club Q community has now gotten. But the narrative around the country is still, everyone is doing that, what's going on in Colorado Springs, what happened with the hate state, and that's too bad in Colorado, because you think, with Columbine, we were really one of the first states that had to publicly grapple with it. And it's not all solved yet. We still don't know what is causing this. Can things stop it? And that's why we'll see some of the red flag, red flag law changed. Mm -hmm. State Senator Fields, the week after the midterm elections, you and other state representatives and state senators formed the Gun Violence Prevention Caucus, not knowing what was going to be happening. Right. I'm sure that you've had quite a few meetings since that first initial coming together. So the objective of the caucus is really just an opportunity for those who are interested to find out a little bit, how can we do this right? If we're going to run policy that addresses gun prevention and gun safety, what should it look like? And making sure that we have more eyes and ears and people involved in crafting that legislation without it being independent. And then you throw the bill out there and then there's, you know, everyone is coming out of the woodworks to try to modify the bill. So we're trying to be forward thinking and to be strategic in any kind of legislation that we run as relates to gun safety reform measures. January 9th is the yes. first day of the session. Caleb, when you were a member of the Colorado Governor's uh, Leadership Fellowship, as I mentioned earlier, your capstone project yeah. was all about preventing gun violence. Yes, and, and I want to be clear that it's not about taking people's guns away. We had to come from a nonpartisan standpoint and advise the Office of Gun Violence Prevention when what we found in our discovery, we found the mental health issue. We found that access to um, guns is a huge thing. So it's about, it's about the safety, it's about the prevention, and I think the biggest way we learn about that is by proximity. And I think that's us talking together, us taking the rhetoric and using different language around this issue so that we can find, there's a lot of common ground. We talk to people who are 100% pro-gun, some people who are completely against it, but we wanna hear the whole state of Colorado, what they've got to say. The way we do that is through awareness, public, public awareness campaigns and education within communities. As a newspaper editor, I'm curious, do you all focus on, hey, we need to get all different sides, different communities. I mean, of course you do with every story, but really do deep dives into these communities so we know, all of us know what's going on. You want to figure out is why it happened, because if you don't know why it happened, you can't stop it. And so it's interesting now because you do see some changes over the last 20 years. There's the no notoriety movement, which puts the focus on the victims rather than the perpetrator. Don't name the perpetrator. And one of the problems right now is we're in the position where we need to know more about why he did it mm -hmm. in order to figure out can it be stopped in the future. And I believe there's a hearing for the alleged shooter on the December 6th. So maybe we'll learn a little more. Right now we're hearing very, very little because documents are sealed. If we don't know what happened two years ago with him, how will we know 
can we stop this with people in the future? So as a newspaper person, you want to honor everyone. You want to honor the victims, but you want to see if you can figure out how to stop it in the future. You are shaking your head, George. Not much is known in this case. Yeah, not much is known. And, and part of it is, even the conversations that we're having here are predicated on a presumption that the red flag law could have made a difference here and that the failure to obtain it was something that we ought to revisit with law enforcement. And I'm going to leave this out on the table because I think it's going to end up being true. When this case gets unsealed, and I've talked to Patty about this a lot, and it needs to be unsealed sooner rather than later. I think what we're going to find out is those hand, the handgun and the rifle that was obtained was likely not obtained through a federally licensed dealer or someone who would have done a background check to begin with. And if that's true, then the fact that the sheriff's office never sought a red flag um, protection order, an extreme risk protection order, is irrelevant. Mm. Because as long as one or both parties to a firearms transaction refuses to comply with the law, then an ERPO or a red flag protection order is meaningless. And so now the conversation has to be, if that's true, what else can we do to try to minimize access to firearms by the people that shouldn't have them? And if you get the answer to that without running afoul of the Second Amendment or even Colorado's protection for firearms possession, you're worth a trillion dollars in my mind because that is a very tricky thing. I think the number one thing that we can do is what Caleb talked about, and that's the mental health piece. We have we have gotten rid of asylums. We have gotten rid of mental health treatment places. We pushed everybody onto the street and into jails, and they are poorly designed for each of those things. What we need to do is have true investment, and I'm talking $50 million to $100 million of investment in mental health um, resources so that things like this can get headed off at the pass. Won't stop it all, but it's going to stop a lot of it. I'm looking at Senator Fields. <laughs> Is that an increase in mental health, something that's being talked about? Well, I don't want to give the impression that um, anyone who's dealing with a mental health issue is going to be violent. That's true. Uh, I know many people who seek counseling, therapy, dealing with behavioral health, mental health issues, and they're not violent people. Mm -hmm. And so when we want to put a spotlight on saying that the way to fix mass shootings or gun violence is to focus just on behavioral health. It's much bigger than that. I believe legislation does work when it comes to gun policy. That's why we have background checks. That's why we close the gun show loophole. That's why we have the red flag law. And I think there's other policies that we can do to curb the trend as it relates to access to making sure that the people who are fit mentally to be able to operate that gun in a safe manner gets access to it, like waiting periods. I mean, if you look at nationally, you know, many of these shooters buy the gun and kill people the same day. So it's homicide and, and um, suicide at the same time, the same day. A little over a week ago, new statistics from the FBI showed that hate crimes in Colorado have more than doubled in the last four years, and the numbers are higher than the national rate. Caleb, the number of hate crimes in Colorado is especially high when you look at the crimes motivated yeah. by bias towards someone's sexual orientation. You know, it's, it's really shocking for me. I, I didn't realize the numbers would be that high, but it also wakes us up to the need for conversation, the need for proximity. A lot of the people, what unless in this case it was self-hatred that drove this, per this person to shoot up Club Q. Um, there's always hatred involved, and there's always some rhetoric that we are tied to, that we identify with. But until you sit next to somebody who's different than you, and you get to know their life, and you humanize the issue, then there's really no point in talking. So I think it's really important for us to continue to pull together and sit with people that we wouldn't normally sit next to and listen. Patty, we have to acknowledge the internet. 
that's a huge part when, like you mentioned, Columbine, that wasn't around. And, you know, the rhetoric, to use the word that Kayla keep mentioning, that continues on the Internet. Well, and that's why you find out so much about the alleged shooters very quickly now. You find the Facebook things. You find the affinity groups where they're sharing the same rumors. They're, they're talking to each other in this strange black hole vacuum, and you don't really realize... George mentioned evil. It is evil what's out there. Where these kids grew up, you know, these are young men who, for the most part, gave signals that there were problems. So their mental health issues, their problems with people listening and telling people about it. When we talk about hate crimes, George, it seems like that would be a very difficult thing to prosecute. Yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, motive is always a component of any case you try to put together to give to a jury, but it is never an element of the crime unless you charge a bias-motivated crime. And that is tough, because you're trying to get into someone's head. And whereas we're all accustomed to things like greed, anger, all those other potent revenge motivations, to add on to it the reason for the anger, the reason for the hatred, the reason for the revenge, and try to get into there, it is challenging. And you really do have to rely upon past statements, past conduct, past writings, things that they've posted. You really do have to rely upon a lot of that, unless they say things to victims when they happen. If I could just take one moment, though, because this is, this is important. I agree that legislation matters, and I agree that we ought to constantly, every time something like this happens, we ought to revisit how could the law have addressed this. But we also have to be, a can be candid about the limitations on legislation. So if, for example, a waiting period, background check, universal background check, magazine capacity had all existed back in 1998, none of them would have prevented Columbine, STEM, Arapahoe High School shooting uh, or the Aurora Theater Massacre. None of those crimes would have been impacted at all by any of those changes had they existed because how the weapons were obtained and what was known about the people beforehand. So yes, they probably make a difference, but let's not convince ourselves that law is going to prevent evil from showing its ugly head because it will continue to show up. Hmm. Senator Fields, I mentioned hate crime, but in Colorado in 2021, these crimes were legally renamed to bias motivated yes. crimes. Yes. In fact, I was one of the sponsors of, of uh, changing the legislation to include bias-motivated crime. And basically, there's, there's a history. Many of these people who have hate in their heart or they want to kill and, or hurt other people, typically, it's on the Internet. I think we need to f spend more time looking at hate and trying to come up with some strategy, not legislation, because not everything can be legislated, you know, especially morality. But um, <clears throat> hate is something that we have to control if we can, because you're, a person is innocent. I mean, you know, I've ran bullying bills. Just because you're poor, you shouldn't be bullied. Just because you're overweight, you shouldn't be bullied. Just because of your sexual orientation or people decide to bully because you're pretty. I mean, yeah. As, and then some people hurt themselves because intellectually, especially young kids, they can't process that in reference to demeaning themselves so they feel like their life does not have value. So um, my good friend D.A. Brockler mentioned that, you know, it wouldn't have changed the outcome. But we're talking about those cases, but we don't know the cases where it has made a difference. That's true. And so if you want to focus on the ones that those happen, like Club Q and others, yeah, 
it didn't prevent those, but we cannot keep coming up with realistic solutions to try to do something. So that's why I say, you know, background checks, magazine, you know, at least it's something. Usually at this point at this show, we typically have a lightning round where we talk about um, the good and the bad that transpired during the week. And I think we've talked a lot about the bad in light of the tragedy of what happened at Club Q and the lives lost and the lives affected. So maybe let's go around of the panel and talk about the light that has come out of this tragedy. You've talked about that, Caleb, or the lessons learned that we can build on or something positive, anything that you find that's, huh, you know, maybe we're learning something. Well, I'm going back to another tragedy. So yeah. this week was the 158th anniversary of the Sand Creek Massacre, which was definitely the darkest chapter in Colorado history. And some light has come out of it. There's an excellent new exhibit at, the history, Colo at history Colorado which really puts it in context. I highly recommend it. people go to it. It shows you how much understanding is needed for everything. Okay, George. Look, in every one of these dark, horrible events, it seems like we have the opportunity to get a glimpse of goodness at its purest form. You know, at, uh, at Aurora Theater, we saw Jonathan Blunk. We saw Alex Teves. They traded their lives for the women that they were with. At STEM, we saw Kendra Castillo mm -hmm. and some others trade their lives for yeah. the students in that room. And here at Club Q, we saw Richard Fierro and a gentleman named, I think it was Mr. Thomas, who stood up to evil and did things that others couldn't conceive of doing or couldn't bring themselves to do in that moment. And in those things, I think you can find a certain beauty in the human spirit and something to rally around. I just want to point out, that Richard Fierro is an army veteran. That's the right branch. That is the good way to go. But things like that make you think, you know what, I have hope for humanity. There are more people like that than I think like the evil that showed up that mm -hmm. night. Mm -hmm. Rhonda. And so just to kind of piggyback on that, I just want to thank law enforcement and the first responders because in the state of Colorado, we don't have this hesitation not to respond. When I think about what happened in Texas, where we had those babies in the school and we had all these officers just hanging out using the hand sanitizer, we had in many situations, the Aurora, Columbine, whatever you want to say, um, Q, they were there immediately. Even the Aurora Theater, they were there immediately. But what we can each do as individuals, as citizens, is to be mindful of our own speech and our own language and our own way that we walk in this world. And so that means you can't tolerate someone belittling someone if they're in your company. If someone is bullying or using hate speech, we need to stop and correct that right now and just do what we can to change the course of conversation. Maybe say, tell me why you feel about that, but we just can't let, let them go on along their way and they hurt someone because we did not check that hate out that we just heard. I think I'm just really, really proud of my city. I'm really proud for the people who've showed up to have that flag on City Hall. Um, I moved there 10 years ago. If you would have ever told me that, that that would be hanging there, I'd say you're out of your mind. But it's showing the growth and the efforts that leadership within our city is making and that the interfaith community is coming together and supporting not just us, but we believe down the road other minorities that need to be defended and stood up with. We have a way forward. We just have to do this together. Yeah. Thank you all for sharing. I know it was a tough, tough subject, but it was important for us to come together tonight and talk about moving forward and what we all can do personally. Yes. Right. Right. Uh, again, we recognize that the Second Amendment right of Americans is the right 
of the people to keep and bear arms. We must also recognize and listen to one another, understand our different perspectives, our concerns and hopes, and respect those, and work for a way to make sure no more innocent lives are taken in gun violence. We welcome your comments, so please share them with us on our social media pages or email us at cio at pbs12.org. And one more reminder, you can catch this show anytime on YouTube or PBS 12. Share it with your friends. Have them listen to this discussion as well. Thank you. I'm Kyle Dyer. We will see you next week on Colorado Inside Out.